welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 83. My name's Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing Marvel's Avengers War for Wakanda expansion, plus I've been checking out the new first-person shooter taking the world by storm, and that one is called Splitgate. So I managed to check out some of the Back for Blood beta, plus I've been getting into Tribes of Midgard too, so it's a busy one this week, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Now, I'm good this week and I do remember a time when summer felt like it was a bit of a waiting game when it came to video games, you know, we'd be waiting all summer for the autumn releases as we build up to the holiday season. Well, that is no more as it seems like great games are coming out each and every week these days. So as well as the great games coming out, we did have plenty of news this week with Nintendo showing off their indie showcase and announcing a few decent games. So Axiom Verge 2... That was probably my highlight of the show, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you a review of that one on next week's episode of the show. So we also had Metal Slug Tactics. Eastwood looked really good, plus Toem as well. That's a great animated adventure on Nintendo Switch. Well, Nintendo also dropped a new trailer for Metroid Dread, which isn't too far away now, coming out on October the 8th. And also the Pokemon Company showed off a new trailer for Pokemon Legends Arceus, and Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl this week as well. So I'm definitely interested in Pokemon Legends Arceus, looking very much like Breath of the Wild cross Pokemon. Well, before we get into the rest of the show, I want to plug the podcast Patreon, so you can send in your questions, your stories for community questions, by signing up to Patreon, and for as little as $2 a month, you can sign up to become a page, where you can get access to exclusive Discord rooms, send in questions and comments to be read out on This Week in Video Games podcast, and also access exclusive content and get early access too. So there's plenty of benefits over there at Patreon, plus you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. Well, that is it for my waffly intro, but let's have a look at what I've been playing in the last couple of weeks. Well, it's been a busy few weeks of new games over the past couple of weeks. So first of all, I've been checking out the Back for Blood beta and there have been a couple of betas over the last few weeks, one closed and one open. And I think that is the last one until the launch in mid-October. And if you like Left 4 Dead, well, there's good news. You are going to like this one. I've also been playing Tribes of Midgard, which I have been enjoying a lot more than I thought I would. This is a top-down survival crafting action game where you take on huge Jotuns. They are big giants. And I'll bring you my thoughts to that one later on in the show. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, Splitgate has been taking the world by storm. This one is a new first-person shooter, which is essentially Halo crossed with Portal. This one seems to have blown up in the last month or so, with a huge influx of new players, and the team, they've now fixed their server issues, although they also have announced the game will continue in beta until further notice, having pushed back the launch from late July. It's really, really good, that one. Plus, it's free, so I recommend if you've got access to Splitgate, download it. It's really, really good fun. But I will bring my thoughts on that one later on in the show. Also, I've been playing The Ascent. It's a new isometric cyberpunk shooter. I didn't really get on well with this game, and I'll bring you my thoughts on why later on in the show. And finally, The War for Wakanda. That one brought me back to Marvel Avengers last week. This is the biggest free expansion yet to Avengers, and it does feel a little bit like the Last Chance Saloon for the game. So Avengers did have a great start, but the endgame felt empty, and the grind was rather meaningless. So Black Panther and Wakanda have been added to try and revitalise the game. And I bring my thoughts to that one first up in the show. Well, talking of the war for Wakanda, let's get into my first impressions of that DLC. 
Well, Black Panther has arrived in Marvel's Avengers with the War for Wakanda expansion, and this is the latest addition to the game since Kate Bishop and Hawkeye were added shortly after the main release in September 2020. So today, I'm going to be checking out the War for Wakanda, and I'll give you my first impressions. Well, as a little background of my experience with Marvel Avengers, I did play through the main campaign and then fell off shortly afterwards, so I didn't really get too much into the endgame content as I would have liked, given the loot isn't very well represented in the game, you know. So I did enjoy the main story campaign and treated it kind of like a single-player game. And since the game launched back in September 2020, a PS5 upgrade has been released, plus the new expansions, their free content. So I thought I'd jump back into the game and see if the War for Wakanda would be enough to bring me back in. It is worth noting, the PS5 update is free, and also the DLCs are free, as I mentioned. So if you have fallen off the game, I would recommend jumping back in, especially if you've got a PS5, because the game does look really, really beautiful. Well, the War for Wakanda is the biggest expansion to Marvel's Avengers so far, and one of the great features of the game is you don't have to level up your existing characters, as Black Panther's adventure acts as a standalone story, so you can jump in immediately. If you're like me, you've also got Kate Bishop and Hawkeye's story to jump into as well. So this is different from other live service style games, where there's a certain amount of levelling up necessary to get into the new content. Well, there's none of that here, so as soon as the expansion arrived, you can jump in immediately. Well, The War for Wakanda is an original story, and the team at Crystal Dynamics collaborated with Evan Narsis, a writer from the Black Panther comic series. And the story picks up after the events of A-Day, the base campaign in Marvel's Avengers. So King T'Challa, he's closed the borders of Wakanda. However, Ulysses Claw has somehow found his way in, and Claw wants the country's vibranium, and T'Challa has to team up with the Avengers to push him out of the kingdom. So Black Panther is the new playable character introduced in the War for Wakanda, and he's a close-up all-action character who plays in a similar way to Black Widow. So you can attack with punches, kicks, but you've also got range attacks too. He's got a lethal pounce where you leap forward towards enemies and then pin them to the ground. And you've got that percussive blast attack with the blast of kinetic energy. And there's also the devastating daggers, a range attack with knives. So you've got a couple of heroic attacks too, including the Salt King's Mercy, where you summon a vibranium spear and throw it through your enemies, pinning them to the ground. So the support heroic is called Kimono Beads, which acts as a support stunning enemies. And then T'Challa's ultimate heroic summons a spectral projection of a panther, which grants Black Panther a major damage buff. So as well as Black Panther himself, Wakanda is another huge component of the expansion. So this includes the lush jungle as well as the new outpost called Bininzana, the capital city of Wakanda. So the new environments, they're huge, filled with enemies and secrets to find too. So in my first few hours of the gameplay, I really enjoyed the environmental puzzles, like identifying the correct runes to unlock the areas of the jungle, and it felt more like a Zelda game than the previous instalment of Marvel's Avengers. So you've got new enemies too, accompanying Claw. He's got vibranium-powered mercenaries, with soldiers with sonic abilities as well, and there's spider-like crawler enemies, which offer a nice variety to the combat and also the enemy types as well. The production value of the expansion is huge. There's a great cast of voice actors, the environments look and sound great, and it really feels like you're playing a part in a Black Panther movie. You know, I really like the original story, so I'm not really the biggest Marvel fan. You know, I like the movies, but I don't go into the backstory of the comics or anything, so anything outside the movies for me is pretty new. Finally, in terms of features of the update, there's some huge UI updates as well. The character menu's been updated with all the important information on one screen, and that allows quick access to gear and upgrades, spending less time in menus and more time in the action. So all of this stuff is a really, really welcome addition. And the War for Wakanda promises 25 hours of gameplay, a new single-player campaign over a series of short stories, 
Plus, we've got new live events coming soon. So my initial impressions of the expansion so far, they're pretty good. Now, it's been a minute since I've played and the combat feels really good. And it offers a unique gameplay experience. You know, I don't know another game where I can jump in and play as Black Panther, whereas there's plenty of other games where I can play as Hulk, Iron Man or Captain America. Black Panther feels great to play as. He's a close-up martial arts style character. And you can be jumping around the enemies in no time at all, you know. I did find the opening a little bit tricky, but I'm putting this down to me being a little bit rusty in the game, having not really played the game for about a year or so. And the environments, they're lush, and the story content so far is entertaining, and the set pieces are pretty spectacular. But having said all that, after only a few hours, I did feel that familiar sinking feeling coming back again. You know, the gameplay is repetitive, and although entertaining at first, I can't really imagine this holding my attention for much longer than the campaign. The enemy AI doesn't really feel that smart, and the boss battles are fairly basic when compared to other games that are out there on the market. You know, the game was, and still is, very button mashy, but I'm going to stick with it for the campaign and finish that up, because I'd like to see where the story goes, and also Black Panther's interactions with the other Avengers too. Now, if you're like me and haven't picked up the Avengers for a little while, now is the perfect time to jump back in. The expansion is free. Plus, if you've got a PS5, you can upgrade your game to the current-gen version. Now, I originally bought the game back on the PS4, half because of the promise of Spider-Man sometime in the future, but it's great to get that next-grade upgrade for free in the War for Wakanda. You know, after some time away from the game, the fatigue of the original gameplay is gone, and the story is quite entertaining. I, I would love this game to succeed... However, I'm not really sure there's enough to bring me back in past the campaign, so it's going to be interesting to see with. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see where this game goes. Well, the developer is Crystal Dynamics, the publisher is Square Enix. It's on PS4, PS5, and PC, and the release date for this DLC was the 17th of August, 2021. Well, that is it for my first impressions of the War for Wakanda expansion for Marvel's Avengers. But next up, let's jump into my impressions of Splitgate. So Splitgate has got everyone talking about it at the moment. Imagine an arena shooter like Halo crossed with the mechanics of Portal and you pretty much have Splitgate. You know, you've probably heard of this one before as it's been in alpha since 2019, but the team has made significant improvements and everyone is pretty hyped over arena shooters once again. Splitgate is inspired by Halo for sure. Inspired may not be quite accurate. You know, straight up rips elements from Halo and has put them in Splitgate. So call this an homage perhaps but it is very much in your face from the style of characters running around the arenas. You know, they look really similar to Master Chief. Plus the announcer reels off many of the same phrases and callouts and the name of the game modes like Team SWAT and Shotty Snipers. You know, I'm not complaining, however. I love the aesthetic, the gunplay and above all, the way the portal mechanics can mix things up. Now, at first glance, this is a classic arena shooter but the portals are the X-Factor here, which allow you to mix up the matches. There's a decent and quick onboarding process at the start, which teaches you the basics of the portal mechanics, and it is fairly simple. You know, you see a textured wall that allows a portal, you throw out one where you want the portal to open up, and you throw another onto another wall. So you can go through the portals, plus you can shoot through the portals too. And you can close up the portals at will, and also throw grenades or EMPs into the enemy portals to close them up, and you are incentivized to create and go through portals by bonus rewards, and you see that all in the endgame medals. It's really hard to describe how much this changes the gameplay. It has the potential to create some amazing moments. For example, you might be pinned down in your spawn point with enemies raining down fire from above, 
In theory, you could throw a portal behind them and take them out with headshots through a portal if you've got the angles right. And you can also create escape routes to effectively run away from enemies. And there's also the ambush move where you see someone from a distance and throw a portal open next to them, step out and quickly melee them in the back of the head and they're done. There's endless potential here and you just wonder why this hasn't been done in the past. The map design is okay at the moment, you know, some maps are certainly better than others. This isn't Bungie, 343 or Respawn levels of map design, but it is still pretty good. You know, I imagine the team is only going to get better as time goes on. There's a handful of maps at the moment, but there's bound to be more maps added in the future. But in terms of game modes, we've got many game modes inspired by Halo here, including Team Deathmatch, Team SWAT, Shotty Snipers, Team Oddball, VIP, and some of these are just simply ripped from the Bungie era of Halo, it's hard to understand how they got away with it. Maybe you can't really copyright a game mode, but this is very close to the mark. Well, given this is a free-to-play game, there's plenty of free-to-play mechanics in here, like a battle pass, daily rewards, and incentives to log in every day. You know, a cosmetic store plus your loot box mechanic. There's plenty of ways to personalize your main characters, which range from a high-tech Android style to the downright silly lizard. It doesn't appear to be taking itself too seriously with the cosmetics, allowing players to pretty much create any type of character they want. I played the game for roughly about 10 hours now or so, and I find the cosmetics hard to come by in the free-to-play element of the game. I think I did have one or two skins since I started playing, which does feel a little bit stingy. Although I did get a good skin through the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, and that was free for Ultimate subscribers. So if you've got that, definitely head on over to the rewards and collect your free Splitgate skin now. The game has a whole suite of free-to-play mechanics. It's not too in your face, and from what I can see, there aren't any pay-to-win elements, only cosmetics, which is definitely the way to go. In terms of gameplay, you've got all the regular guns you'd imagine from a first-person shooter, including an assault rifle, a battle rifle, a carbine, a shotgun, a pistol, a laser, and also a sniper rifle too. And the gunplay feels pretty good. And I've been playing on the Xbox Series X with a controller, and it feels really, really good, much like the map design. So it's not quite there with Destiny 2 or Apex Legends, the movement feels a little bit floaty. It's not quite as crisp as something like Titanfall 2, which obviously did set the bar very, very high for a first-person shooter combat. So the player count does seem to have gone through the roof with this game recently, with the team having to invest in the servers very quickly, and you now see regular queues of up to five minutes. Although recently the team does seem to have fixed that, there doesn't seem to be queues anymore. But a couple of weeks ago, the queues in the evening were quite ridiculous. But we are still in beta, so this can be overlooked for now. But the fact that there's this demand and everyone is playing and talking about this game is really good news for the development team. So it's good to see a small team succeeding with a core gameplay mechanic, which is just really, really popular. You know, the portal mechanic is the real innovation in the first-person shooter space. I'm slightly worried about Splitgate, though, as this, as this is their unique selling point. You know, much like when Apex came out with a ping system, all of a sudden you see a ping system popping up in Fortnite, Warzone, etc, etc. So it wouldn't really take too much for Halo Infinite to add something like this, and all of a sudden you've clipped the wings of Splitgate, you know. I think everyone is forgiving of the gameplay of Splitgate because it's got that unique portal mechanic. However, take that uniqueness away, and what have you really got, you know. It's going to be really interesting to see how long it will take for others to adopt this mechanic, given the rise of popularity of Splitgate. So the original launch of Splitgate was set to be 27th of July 2021. However, the team has pushed back the date to focus more on the server stability. And they have also recently come out and said it's going to be in beta indefinitely. And I think this is a good thing because there is a passionate fan base of the game. And if they go into a full 1.0 launch and the servers fall down, well, the audience are going to be very, very disappointed. So it's good to see. And I recommend jumping into the beta ASAP. 
Splitgate is great fun, plus it's free, I meaning you can jump in on consoles and PC for free right now, and do be prepared to wait to get into the game if you are logging on at a popular time. However, if you like arena shooters, this is a must-try game. So the portal mechanics are so good and switch things up, and they have added a much-needed twist to the arena shooter genre. So it has been a long time since we've had real innovation in this space, and Splitgate does have the potential to revitalise things completely. You know, with Halo Infinite coming out in holiday season, plus Apex Legends trying their hands at smaller modes, and Destiny 2 wanting to invest in their PvP more, it's definitely a tough market to enter, and even tougher one to survive. But I reckon Splitgate has a chance, so jump in and give it a try for yourself. Well, the game is developed by 1047 Games, same publisher as well. It's available on PS4 and 5, Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One and PC. As I mentioned, the game was supposed to be launched fully on the 27th of July 2021, but it is remaining in indefinite beta for now. And if you go to any game store on the platform of your choice, check out the top three games, and I reckon it's going to be hovering around there near the top. Well, that is it for my first impressions of Splitgate. Really, really good fun. I definitely recommend jumping in and giving it a go. It's doing really, really well, and I wish everyone at 1047 Games all the best there. They've definitely revitalised the arena shooter, but as I mentioned, I hope someone just doesn't come and rip their main portal mechanic off and just add it into their game. Fortnite, I know I'm looking at you. You've done it recently with Among Us. Just don't go ripping off and stealing everyone else's mechanics. Well, that is my first impressions of Splitgate, but next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, at 10 this week, up a whopping 30 places, it's Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. Then at number 9 this week, it's Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. That's down 4 places from last week's number 5. At number 8 this week, down 6 places from last week's number 2, it's Hades. And number 7 this week, up 1 place from last week's number 8, it's Assassin's Creed Valhalla. At number 6 this week, down 5 places from last week's number 1, it's F1 2021. And number 5 this week, down 1 place from last week's number 4, is Animal Crossing New Horizons. Number four this week, down one place from last week's number three, it's Olympic Games Tokyo 2020, the official video game. And at three this week, up three places from last week's number six, it's Minecraft. At two this week, up five places from last week's number seven, it's Grand Theft Auto V. And number one this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, up from last week's number two. And Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, I think it's been in the top ten since I first started doing the podcast. I always see it in the top ten. But to be at number one, this is an incredible journey. Yeah, Mario Kart 8 must have sold absolutely millions. But congratulations to everyone on the team for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Well, that is it for the weekly charts this week. But next up, let's check out my review of Tribes of Midgard. Well, Tribes of Midgard is a new top-down survival action game set in Norse mythology. So it's a game that can be enjoyed solo or with friends, and it's another standout indie hit from 2021. This is all about gathering, exploring, crafting and fighting huge giants, all while working with a team of friends or randoms to protect the seed of Yggdrasil. Tribes of Midgard surprised me, you know, I didn't really instantly click with it, but I pushed through the barrier and found myself coming back time and time again, and really, really enjoying myself. There's a combination of gameplay elements going on here in Tribes of Midgard, First of all, you've got gathering of the resources and levelling up your character and base. And this is punctuated by invading enemies, some small and some as tall as a building with massive clubs. They're going to level your hard-earned levelled-up village with a few swings. So it's the combination of these elements that work really, really well, plus throw in the multiplayer element too. And the developers have something really special on their hands. 
You know, when you first start out in the game, you literally have nothing. You appear in the world in your pants during the tutorial, and you've got to scavenge around for the most basic materials like flint and branches. And once you've done that, you can then craft some tools via the vendor in your village. And now you've got a few basic tools. You can chop down trees and mine iron to craft them into some weapons. And then once you've got some weapons, you can kill animals and enemies and then craft some more items. And so the gameplay loop goes on in this fashion. Go out, explore, gather materials, plunder some loot and level up yourself and also your base. Well, there's a decent persistence mechanic here involving your starter kits. So your first few goes, you may not last very long, but each time you'll earn XP and you'll quickly access the starter kits, which will start you out in the world with clothes. So you're still going to have to go out and gather a few materials at the start of each run, but you'll get into the swing of things pretty quickly. There's plenty of resources to gather, including flint, wood, iron, stone, vegetation, fur, and all kinds of materials that allow you to craft up weapons and also potions. So one of the main characters and tribes of Midgard is souls, and everything drops souls. So chop down a tree to collect souls, kill a wolf, kill an archer, pick a mushroom. You get the point. There's loads of souls everywhere. So those should be taken back to your village and invested either in levelling up the gates so you won't get attacked or hand them into your sea of Yggdrasil, sitting in the middle of the village. So the seed of Yggdrasil is a tree, and it sits at the heart of your village, and keeping the thing alive is the main objective of the game. So each night, as the sun goes down, enemies will appear in the darkness, surround your village, and they're going to come to attack the seed. So their objective is to destroy it, and your objective is to stop them, plain and simple. So night after night, more enemies will come, and over time, they're going to get more powerful, so it's down to you to stop them. So you can do this in a number of ways, so gathering materials, crafting, levelling up your character is one way, and you can also get better weapons from the blacksmith in town, and you can also get better armour through crafting and collecting various items, like fur, wolf's teeth, and also similar materials too. You can also level up your base by fortifying the gates, building archery towers, and anything that's going to stop the dark things at night from attacking and destroying your seed. Well, Occasionally, a Jotun will appear, and this is a huge giant that will appear on the map, and they've got massive health bars, and it will take a coordinated effort of a number of players working together to take down these giants. You know, some have massive ice clubs or fiery weapons, some cast spells, so all are dangerous, and from their spawn point on the map, they're slowly going to start making their way towards the seed of Yggdrasil to try and take it down, so it's worth keeping an eye on where these guys spawn, and then coordinating your team to head them off before they get too close, you know. So at the time, you've got to be keeping one eye on what's going on, and also back in the village as well, and if you're out gathering materials or fighting a Jotun and the enemies start attacking at night, then your seed of Yggdrasil isn't going to last too long, and then it's game over. So the map is pretty big, and it's going to take plenty of time to travel it over on foot, and there are handy fast travel points which you can discover out on foot and travel to and from your base, which makes getting around much easier. So the map starts out in the dark each time, and you have to go out there and explore, plus you've got surprises around every corner, so you've got enemy bases which you can fight and take their loot, and there's a variety of different environments too, so watch out for the snow and ice, because you will freeze to death if you're not dressed for the occasion. So I found this out the hard way. But if you do die though, you'll leave behind a chest, and you can go back there where you died and pick up some of your loot. Well, the enemies you find on the map get progressively harder as the game goes on. Sometimes you'll wander into a new area and notice that enemies are much higher level than you, so it's a smart move to make a quick exit before they kill you. So battling these enemies is really, really fun. There's plenty of weapon options as well. So you've got swords and bows and arrows, axes and hammers, all these standard Viking weapons. You have to aim with the mouse and then click with the left mouse to swipe with the weapon. It does take a little bit of getting used to, but I did find combat very satisfying. You know, it's not really in-depth combat, 
and you can get quickly into battles without too much previous experience. You know, sometimes I did find it a little bit tricky to keep focused on the enemies in question as I was using the mouse to explore the screen, but otherwise it is quite accessible. There is a live service feel to the game too as it's got seasons, a character screen where you can add and edit different cosmetics, plus there's a shop as well. So we're currently in Season of the Wolf, so that means you have to fight through various Jotun world bosses and then face off against a big wolf at the end. And the stage is set by the developers Norsefell to keep updating the game as time goes on. So given it's a live service light game, then hopefully the team will add some quality of life upgrades too, as repairing gear can be a little bit cumbersome. Plus there are a few visible bugs as well. Nothing too major, but it's not without its minor flaws. Well, Tribes of Midgard is another breakout indie hit for 2021, and it's certainly got a lot going for it. You know, if you're into crafting and gathering, plus getting together with a few friends to take on world bosses and defending your base, this is definitely one worth looking at. And I imagine over time, it's only going to get better. Well, the developer is Norsefell. It's published by Gearbox. It's out now for PC via Steam. And it was originally released on the 27th of July, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of the Tribes of Midgard. Really, really fun game. Definitely recommend checking that one out. And another standout indie hit of 2021. Indies definitely seem to be smashing out of the park this year. It's really, really good stuff. But next up, let's have a look at my first impressions of the Back for Blood beta. Well, Back for Blood has now had two betas. One closed for those who pre-ordered the game and got Twitch drops. Another open beta on the 12th to the 16th of August. So Back for Blood comes from Turtle Rock Studios and it's a spiritual successor to the Left 4 Dead series. And although it shows some promise, the game does still have some major issues to sort out before the full launch, coming in October 2021. So back in the 2000s, Left 4 Dead burst onto the scene with great PvE gameplay and zombie battles and managed to capture a huge worldwide audience. And some of the original team are back to work on Back for Blood. You can certainly see that in their latest title. So Back for Blood is really similar to its predecessor. And I've definitely had plenty of fun in the beta, but mainly on the PvE side of things. So the PvP mode still has plenty of work to be up to the standard of the rest of the game. So the gameplay follows a familiar template. You start out solo or with a squad and you're scavenged for weapons and ammo and then head out to try and take on hordes of zombies. So battle your way through a series of set pieces, through buildings and underground tunnels, warehouses and the like, and finally take on a big boss. You know, I found it best playing with other players in four-player co-op, ramping up the difficulty to the top and treating it like a tactical shooter. So Bat for Blood manages to recapture the feeling of Left 4 Dead in a fairly authentic way, pulling on those nostalgia strings really, really well. But there are modern elements to the game which are a nice addition, so you've got the card system for various buffs comes into play, and you've got to create a deck of cards at the start of a mission. This allows you to get more health, more ammo, and coordinating with your team can affect the outcome of PvE runs. So the looting and the gathering feels very much like a battle royale. You don't have tiered weapons, but the feeling of running around picking up weapons and ammo from crates Feels like the team have looked at games like Fortnite and Warzone and borrowed some of the modern day mechanics. Well, the game is a beta, so I shouldn't be too hard in the optimization, but the frame rates and the overall smoothness of the game didn't really feel up to scratch. So hopefully with a little bit more time, the team can optimize the game because it wasn't only me who was having issues. My whole squad was complaining about the frame rates, demonstrating there's still a work to be done from the Back for Blood team. But on the other hand, the card-based system really makes the game stand out 
and it elevates it above what the team has previously produced with Left 4 Dead. So as well as the character buffs, there's also environmental dangers too. So, for example, the crows often became an issue, especially on harder difficulties where you have to be careful not to disturb the birds. Otherwise, they're going to attract hordes of zombies towards you. This became a little bit difficult with the squad. Running around throwing grenades and firing off weapons, the crows basically wouldn't stay still. So the ammo and the health economy could do with a little bit of tweaking as well. I did find myself often running low on ammo, and ideally, you want to be running around and killing as many zombies as possible. So each character does have a handy secondary weapon that goes with your primary that you can pick up, but some are much better than others. So in the first few runs, I had a pistol as my secondary, which was really useful, but on switching characters and trying someone else, I only had a machete, which didn't really hold up the flood of oncoming zombies at all. It was pretty crap, actually, and I kept dying. So, so definitely check out your character's attributes and weapons when you start, and be aware that some are better than others. So PvE combat is fantastic, and I could definitely see myself playing together with friends a bunch when this one comes out. But PvP, on the other hand, didn't feel fun to me at all. You know, Rather than pit players versus players with all the regular weapons that come with that, it's humans versus zombies. And while this sounds fun on paper, the zombies felt very weak when compared to the humans, and I find myself dead or dying for half of the matches. You know, you can select a variety of zombies to try out, regular, big exploding ones, or the tall, slower moving ones, plus the other ones that can jump and climb up walls and spit poison. But for me, it didn't click at all, and hopefully there will be a rework here, as I've seen similar reports from other players in PvP. You know, I did have a good time overall in the beta, and I'm much more excited about the game now than hardly having paid attention to it in the build-up to release. It's going to be available on Xbox Game Pass, so if you've got a subscription there, well, you already have access, and Bat for Blood is coming out on the 12th of October, 2021. Well, that is it for my first impressions of Bat for Blood and the open beta. Pretty interesting game, definitely has its pluses and its minuses. But next up, I'm going to talk about another game that I played on Xbox Game Pass, and this one is The Ascent. Well, The Ascent is an isometric action RPG set in a cyberpunk and bleak future where corporations are dominant and life seems fairly meaningless. You know, I was looking forward to this one, but the sheen quickly fell away and I really didn't enjoy my time with this game at all. You know, First of all, there are many things to like about The Ascent. The graphics, for example, when you're in the isometric view look great, plus you've got loads of particle effects when your character is running around the screen. The environments are probably the best thing about the game. They're rich. They managed to capture the cyberpunk feel really, really well. But unfortunately, that is where the fun stopped for me. You know, I didn't really get on well with the action. I found it cumbersome and awkward. The cutscenes don't look very good. It's as if the character models are almost half finished. It's a shame because when zoomed out in the isometric view, it's a beautiful looking game. Well, the story in The Ascent is set on the planet Villas, and the people have gone there to find a better life. Now, fortunately, for everyone who arrives there, you get rid of with so much debt that it's probably going to take you a whole life to pay it off. And huge corporations like the one that employs you, called the Ascent Group, own everything in sight. You have to spend your days working as a labourer, taking up part-time jobs to pay off the debt. You're going back to one of the positives of the game, and that is the rich environment. So your base is Arcology A, a massive skyscraper turned city, and it's busy and bustling with life. So there's bars, vendors, NPCs, Think neon-filled cyberpunk Tokyo, but turned up to 11. You know, everywhere you go in the game, there's shops, nightclubs, all filled with plenty of detail and little secrets to find. So another plus point I haven't really mentioned is the co-op play. You can play the assemble up to three players. I imagine this would make getting through the levels a little easier, as this one on your own is pretty tough. 
So regarding the gameplay, it is an isometric shooter. We have to run and gun, strafe, duck behind cover, and it's a shoot 'em up. So there's plenty of weapons and armor and augments and, and upgrades to acquire. The guns are varied with pistols, machine guns, shotguns, and sidearms. There's also something about the game which reminds me of Diablo as well. So you got loot drops from enemies when you kill them. And it has that feeling of a looter shooter without the live service baggage. But it is worth noting the loot isn't random drops. I guess the comparisons with Diablo is probably more the look and feel rather than the dungeon loot crawling. Well, the weapons are good fun and they feel great and you can really feel the weight of the shotgun blasts. The augments are good as well, so giving you a special ability. There's a cooldown and gives you an edge in battle, you know. So, for example, you could have a huge punch that sends enemies flying back or on fire or smashing them so hard they dissolve. So if you're lucky, you get the augment that makes the enemies explode when they die. But you have to get used to the cover system in the game because there's going to be waves and waves of enemies coming at you and you need some rest and you need to avoid the bullets. Otherwise, enemies are going to make quick work of you. So if you get into cover, you can raise your gun out of cover and shoot. And as well as the cover system, you can dodge roll too, meaning you've got a few tools to evade and hide from danger. So you've got a variety of enemies that come at you with guns and knives and other weapons too, like spike clubs. So you've got bosses and mini-bosses. They're tough, and they can be pretty inventive. So, for example, there's two twin bosses very early in the game. You like to tag-team you with huge clubs. And even if you do find cover, they won't get you much rest as the enemies like to push forward and keep you on your toes. So when you first start in the game, you're going to be at base level, and as you progress through the game, you're going to need to level up your character through armor and weapon stats. This is going to be crucial to taking on enemies in later levels, otherwise you're simply going to get creamed. Primarily, the game is a shooter, but there's also some moments where you get to explore the environments, taking in the scenery or checking out the local shops. So the shooting and the battling mechanics didn't really click for me, but the exploration and the dialogue were really much more satisfying. The Ascent definitely isn't a walk in the park, so part of this is to make sure you level up as you go. But the game isn't very clear about this until you go steaming into an encounter and get absolutely taken down by the enemies. Unfortunately, the side quests aren't as engaging as the main story, and because I didn't find the main story engaging, I left feeling quite flat and not motivated to pick up the controls again shortly after I put them down. So there is a lot going for the Ascent on paper. However, it's a game that I simply didn't click with and found it a chore to play rather than something I look forward to. So I didn't like the combat. The feel wasn't there for me. And having recently played through something like Death's Door, which is a comparable isometric action game that definitely has the right feel, the Ascent just didn't engage me enough to keep wanting to come back. So I found myself more frustrated than not. So the one saving grace of this whole situation is that I didn't have to pay for the game because it's on Xbox Game Pass and it has been available since day one, you know. So this is kind of the perfect Game Pass game for me. It's not to my taste, but that doesn't mean you won't like it. So I definitely think it's worth trying out this kind of thing. You know, you might get hooked on the next indie hit. Unfortunately for The Ascent, it wasn't for me. And to be honest, I can't really recommend this game at all. So the game was developed by Neon Giant. It's published by Curve Digital. It's out on Xbox One, Xbox Series S and X and PC. It was originally released on the 29th of July, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of The Ascent. Unfortunately, I didn't really like that one that much. And it's not very often I come across a game that doesn't really click with me, but that one just really wasn't it. Well, that is it for my review of The Ascent. But next up, let's look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. So in the next few weeks, on the 24th, we've got a few games. We've got Aliens Fireteam Elite, that's coming out on PS5, Xbox Series consoles, PS4, Xbox One and PC. Then we've got Hoa, it's coming out on Switch and PC. 
We've got I Expect You to Die 2, The Spy and the Liar. That's PlayStation VR, Rift, Quest and Vive. We've got King's Bounty 2, that's PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Sniper Ghost Warrior Contracts 2, that's on the PS5. Then on the 25th, we've got a few other games, and Marvel Future Revolution, that's iOS and Android, and Psychonauts 2, that's coming out on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Then on the 26th, we've got Proto Corgi, that's Switch and PC, Splunky, that's coming out on Switch, and also Splunky 2, that's coming out on Switch as well. Then on the 27th, we've got Baldo the Guardian Owls, that's PS4, Xbox One, Switch, PC, and iOS. We've got Inked, A Tale of Love, that one is coming out on Xbox One and PC. We've got No More Heroes 3 coming out on Switch. Then on the 31st, we've got Kiwi. That's coming out on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series Console, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got Rustler, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. The Big Con, Xbox Series Consoles, Xbox One and PC. Then on the 1st of September, we've got Lake, Xbox Series Consoles, Xbox One and PC. Then we've got Al Shaddai, Ascension to the Metatron. That's coming out on PC. That is on September the 2nd. Then we've got Pathfinder, Wrath of the Righteous, that's coming out on PC. Also on the second, we've got WRC 10, that's PlayStation 5, Xbox Series, Consoles, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. September the 3rd, we've got Big Rumble Boxing, Creed Champions, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Another one on the third, we've got Golf Club Wasteland, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And then finally, we've got The Medium, that's coming to PlayStation 5, that one also coming out on September the 3rd. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games or check out the latest on the website. So send your questions, your comments, or your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. Thank you so much for watching or listening. And for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe on YouTube, and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link at the description. Or you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.